It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Last Thursday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis faced off against California Governor Gavin Newsom during a primetime debate hosted by Fox's very own Sean Hannity in Alpharetta, Georgia. The two governors sparred over lots of issues. There was crime, abortion, immigration, and pandemic-related policies in a red versus blue state showdown. Then on Wednesday, Governor DeSantis will once again appear on a debate stage this week. This time it will be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a place I have never been but would love to go. That will be the fourth Republican primary debate. But with the Iowa caucus fast approaching, candidates, they're running out of chances to make significant changes in polling. So how will this week's presidential debate change anything, if at all? Well, joining me once again with a closer look is Fox News radio political analyst and editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider, Josh Kroshar. Great to have you, Josh. Dana, it's great to be back with you. Hey, before I before we do anything else, we have to talk about the breaking news that I saw on my way here, and that is that Governor Doug Burgum of North Dakota has dropped out of the Republican primary race. Want to do 25 seconds on that? Governor Doug is, is no longer in the in the campaign, uh, uh, you know, anymore. Hey, look, it, I, look, I think there was room in another time for a governor from a Plains state who actually, you know, had a lot of expertise when it comes to energy policy. You know, there may have been a time for someone like that to make a mark. But um, you're already in this field, as we're going to talk about, Trump is just the elephant in the room. There's only yeah. so much space for a serious challenger. And and look, I, I think when you're the governor of North Dakota and you don't do a whole lot of legwork before your presidential campaign to get attention for yourself, it, it's just going to be hard to get that. It was always hard for him to get that earned media attention. Yeah. To make a mark in this race. Look, I I thought he was pretty compelling in terms of competence and a kind person, a smart one. And I love how he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, saved the family farm, starts an amazing tech company, sells it for lots of money and goes back to serve his state and his country. And I hope that if there is an opportunity for him to serve in government in the future, whether at the Department of Energy or elsewhere. Gosh, I think he would be great. So hats off to him. And he is off the stage, Doug Burgum. So let's talk about another thing I wanted to ask, which is that over the weekend, Governor DeSantis did, what do they call that? The full Grassley in Iowa, where he visited all 99 counties. And this was supposed to be a, a big earned press event moment. His last county he went to was Jasper County, of course, favorite of mine, anything named Jasper. But (laughs) it didn't get a lot of attention. And partly that's because there was a lot of campaign shakeup. I guess you could call it a campaign shakeup that happened over the last 10 days on the DeSantis side of things. And I just wonder what you think is going on as we are about 42 days away from the first voting in Iowa. So let's start with Iowa, because that is the state, Dana, as you all know, that Governor DeSantis is putting all the chips on the table. He he needs to either win Iowa or, or come really, really close to Donald Trump for his campaign to have any legitimacy, frankly, after after those caucuses. Um, so he's put time on the can- on the ground. He's been to all, all of the counties in the state, which is not an easy task. They've put all their money in the Iowa basket. Um, he's gotten some key endorsements, Dana, from Governor uh, Kim Reynolds, who's quite popular, certainly among Republicans in the state. 
and also Bob Vanderplatz, who uh, is one of the top evangelical uh, leaders who could push some 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 you know, socially conservative voters to the polls. I mean, that's pretty significant. And he did that with his previous campaign team. And and, and look, this is the Ted Cruz playbook from 2016. And Ted Cruz did not win the nomination, but he did win Iowa. He did beat Donald Trump in Iowa. So uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Like what DeSantis is doing on the ground, the the fundamentals uh, make sense that he could actually overperform in in a state where he's put so much time and money in. The challenge, though, is like two of the same people behind – Ted Cruz's successful campaign in Iowa, uh, you know, or at least one, one, one prominent person in, in that super PAC orbit seem to have been sidelined. Um, and there's a lot of chaos within the inner workings of the DeSantis campaign. The, the, the campaign is basically steering money away from the leading super PAC led by Jeff Rowe, who, who was a big, big player in the Cruz 2016 campaign and is moving it to another super PAC. And meanwhile, it doesn't seem like the campaign and the leading to the original super PAC are on the same page strategically or or certainly um, you're seeing some of the top talent in that super PAC get fired or or leave the operation. And that's not the headline you want going into, you know, we're only about a month and a half, what, a month and a half, two months away from the the caucuses. That's not the message you want from your campaign. It's overshadowed some of the real accomplishments that the DeSantis operation has made in Iowa. And it just creates this perception of, and this has been something that I I never understood, Dana, how any campaign, no matter how well-funded it is, why it would make sense for the campaign to outsource their TV and their ground game to an operation, a super PAC that can't coordinate, that can't talk to the actual campaign. Yeah, they could only send, like legally, just so everyone understands, legally, they could only basically send smoke signals to each other. Yeah, it's like playing. Yeah, it's like it's like having like a game of code just so you can communicate with uh, another entity that you, you're not allowed really to have direct communications with. So, I, you know, any, anyone who runs a business, you know, it, it would be like having a shadow business or a shadow staff that you would have to work with in order to have your business be successful. The, the operation as it was originally constituted didn't make a whole lot of sense. It meant a lot of the money for ads, for ground game, for, for operations were directly outside of the DeSantis's op, the DeSantis campaign's control. Um, so you had from the beginning, different views of strategy, different different personalities and how the campaign should be run, different different uh, contradictory uh, ideologies even on what, what 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 type of issues and what type of messages played well with 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 Republican voters, and now you, it looks like with so little time left in this race, a lot of the leading players from that super PAC have been fired or, or just kicked out, and it's not a healthy sign of any any operation hmm. when you see that. So, tell me what you think about Iowa. We're forty two days away from the first voting. Uh, President Trump in the lead, and DeSantis and Haley. I don't know where the, I can't remember exactly where they are. You tell me. Yeah, well, look, it depends on what poll you look at or what campaign you're talking to. But I, I think it's pretty clear that Trump is the heavy front runner in Iowa. I would be shocked if he didn't comfortably win the caucuses. But look, caucuses are also a measure of intensity. Of who's who's going to be willing to show up on a cold uh, January day and spend two hours in a high school gymnasium to support your your leading candidate and some of the you know some of the DeSantis folks the Haley folks as well think that Trump has a lot of soft support but a lot of the most committed Republican voters may be more willing to look for a Trump alternative uh and caucuses are not you know they're they're, they're different ball games than just primaries or regular elections so there there often are some unpredictable results from them but look Trump is leading by what 25 30 points in yeah. all the polls 
in the state. There's going to there's be a battle for the number two spot. If if Nikki Haley finishes ahead of DeSantis, that's going to be it probably forces DeSantis out of the race. And Haley all of a sudden is going to be the leading Trump challenger. We're going to have a one on one race. If DeSantis does really well, if he comes close to Trump, then maybe he has the momentum going into New Hampshire, South Carolina, and maybe he can make something of the campaign. We haven't talked about Vivek Ramaswamy. What do we need to know about his standing at the moment? Well, we know that the more Americans see of Vivek Ramaswamy at the debates, the less they like. Uh, he, he started out with a pretty decent image as an outsider with some, you know, fresh ideas, populist ideas, um, echoing Donald Trump in many ways. But the more, you know, Nikki Haley clashed with him at many of these debates, um, he is not worn well. He doesn't seem to be the kind of like he doesn't have the likability factor that uh, candidates need to to do well in in primaries so look he's going to be a factor uh, if anything he may be taking votes away from donald trump because they're basically sending a, a much of the same message to voters but i don't think he's going to be much of a factor in we this should maybe mention and, and, that vivek ramaswamy's political director for his campaign left to go to work for president trump last week that's right that's right he lost one of his big staffers um look you're, you're going to see that as as candidates drop out and as other candidates candidates don't do very well, you're going to see staff move on. But that is a very sh- telltale sign. That's a that. sign. Uh, even his top people are not uh, confident in his chances. On my way here to the podcast studio, I got a text from somebody who would be in the know who said that they do think that Governor Chris Christie will make the debate stage qualifications for this week's debate in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. What do you think of that? I've heard some of the, the same rumblings that he that is one of the big questions on whether Chris Christie makes that next debate stage. And, and um, I, you know, I, I, the RNC is sort of the ultimate arbiter of what polls count and how, how to, how to assess um, who, who's, who's qualified. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he made it on the stage. Um, he's, he's been a very uh, vocal presence at these debates. I, I think the big challenge for Christie though, is when, when to, you know, he, he doesn't have a path to the nomination. New Hampshire is the one state where he's put, you know, he's putting his, his chips in that one basket. And, you know, I, I, I actually, I think the bigger question for Chris Christie is when he ends up deciding to drop out and whether he endorses anyone else, if, if he, if he ends up doing so. Okay. So then let's talk about Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former UN ambassador under president Trump's administration. She picked up a big endorsement last week from AFP. If you could explain to people, why is that significant? Yeah, well, the Coke—that's the Coke network. It's 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 one of, at one time, Dana. Like when I was first covering politics, it was probably one of the most important endorsements for any Republican to get. It, it gave them a very you know fiscally conservative seal of approval. It opened up millions of dollars in donations to 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 that candidate, and they have a you know they really have been focusing lately on their their ground game among people who support uh you know their 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 version of conservative policies in a lot of these early state contests as so new hampshire i think is especially a big a big test of their their impact so um they're not as influential as they once were the you know the the patriarch david Koch has, has passed away in you know in the recent years but um they still have a lot of resources it, it's, it's yeah, they have help money they, they have fun. organization and it probably comes at a time when I read today, who said that her her campaign is cresting at the right time? Do you think that's true? I mean, look, she she has been the winner at every debate. <laughs> she has started out at the mid single digits at best, and now she's that's interesting you know, because really you said that the more place. Americans saw Vivek Ramaswamy at debates, the his numbers went down. 
And as she's debated, her numbers have gone up. Do you think there's a correlation there? Absolutely. I mean, the, the debates have, I mean, the, the, in, in modern politics, debates are the one event that really does move the needle when people are paying attention uh, nationally. And Nikki Haley has got, you know, she's gotten momentum out of every one of the debates so far. And, and she's, she's just a very good retail politician. She, she's always been, I mean, she that's why she won two terms as governor of South Carolina. It's why she came out of nowhere to win the, the governorship in the first place. Uh, she is a very talented politician. She is well-versed on, on foreign policy, especially as former UN ambassador, which, which are issues that um, are front and center now in our politics. And yeah, she she's she's gotten the most momentum out of out of the campaign, though she still is well behind Donald Trump. I was race. just going to ask you, I guess the question is, um, is everyone here just playing for second place? Well, look, here's the Haley. Here's my Nikki Haley. This is the Nikki Haley uh, playbook. If, 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 if I, she has a long shot to unseat Donald Trump. But the one kind of pathway she has is to finish ahead of DeSantis in Iowa. So get a lot of momentum out of that Iowa caucus and, and maybe knock DeSantis out of the race. Use that momentum into New Hampshire, which is a state that is very, very well suited to her strengths and maybe even get really close to Trump or maybe even defeat him. But let's say let's, let's say she gets a strong second place finish in New Hampshire. And then you got South Carolina, her home state, which she could actually win uh, if, if, if the momentum, if the tide is going her way. And then and then you have the, the likelihood of a Trump trial taking place right before Super Tuesday, uh, which is a big wild card uh, in this in this Republican nomination. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for, you know, who knows what, where that's going to go. So, look, I, I think Haley is as the Haley's biggest challenge is getting credibility on the, the MAGA wing of the party, getting credibility with some of the, the more Trump, you know, aligned voters. She's been more getting support from uh, college educated Republicans, from more moderate Republicans, from from women in the Republican Party. But that's not a bad place to start. And if she can show some momentum, that could allow her to peel some support off but later the DeSantis on. DeSantis people look, say that anybody that if it, that if he's not in the race, that people who support DeSantis would not then choose Nikki Haley as their next choice, but that his voters would go to Trump. That's an open question. I don't know if the Haley campaign sees things the same way. They don't. I, mean, I think they'd, <laughs> they'd much rather actually see them win or do what go ahead of DeSantis in Iowa and and have that momentum rather than having DeSantis stick around. And I think in New Hampshire specifically, I think some of the DeSantis voters actually may more be uh, anti-Trump voters than than hardcore Trump voters. Okay, so let's wrap up this segment. But before I go, I've got a candidate quotable. Which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? My point that I've been trying to make about Nikki is just pretty simple. You can't be everything to everybody. You can't be running against Donald Trump and then say he was the right president for the right time. Who said that? Well, we'll have that answer coming up. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. And we are back with Perino on politics. Josh, you are the editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. And right before we started our podcast today, I signed up for the daily newsletter. Tell people about what you can get in that daily read. I mean, what an incredible time for you to take over this position. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're covering everything that you see uh, as the lead stories on the national news, whether it's uh, the war that Israel is fighting against Hamas and, and the state of play on the battlefield, whether it's the state of play when it comes to anti-Semitism in, in, in this country, which sadly has been on the rise uh, even before October 7th, but it certainly has become 
a major issue in this country uh, and abroad in, in the last month and a half. And look, we cover pol- look, the, 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 a lot of the battles, especially within the Democratic Party, are, are over issues like Israel and issues like anti-Semitism. Um, and there's a big fight taking place within the parties, especially within the Democratic Party, between this wing of the party that is functionally anti-Israel. Um, and in a few cases, some some lawmakers have been ultimately pro Hamas, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, out of Michigan, and we're, we're we're you know reporting on what they have to say and 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 where the party leadership is on on some of these these more fringe figures. Um, so that's been another part of the politics part of the equation has also been pretty uh, significant for Jewish Insider. But well, I'm glad look, to look, we we have a team. Yeah, we have a, we're, we're we're reporting on, on one of the biggest stories right now in the news, and uh, we're we're not stopping as as this war looks like it's going to take some time to to finish. In this segment, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the politics of war in terms of the rhetorical support of the Biden administration, and then also the possibility of the aid that we're looking at, the aid package on Capitol Hill, and then finally, any thoughts you have about Biden possibly losing support from Muslim Americans who now say they're going to actively work against him. I don't know if that means that they would then vote for a Republican. I doubt it. But how troubling is that for Biden? So let's start with your thoughts on the politics of war and where you think the administration is in terms of its support. So big picture is that that President Biden has been about as supportive towards Israel as you would reasonably expect for any Democratic president, especially given the pressures he's getting from that that very far left flank that is not very large, but is very outspoken and has an outsized impact in on campuses and on social media and in spaces where you know very far left or activist types predominate. Uh, so look, there, there's been in in the last week when you know. Israel resumed resumed uh, its fight against Hamas after the after uh, there was a, a deal reached on hostages. Um, yeah, there, 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 you know, there's basically been pressure from the administration, mostly behind the scenes, to try to constrain Israel's court, you know action and how long it has to fight the war against Hamas. Israel says we need to fight Hamas till it's taken out. It doesn't isn't in charge of the the Gaza territory. It's a threat to our own existence. Uh, but I think the Biden administration has been putting a lot of pressure, at the very least, to limit the operation. And you also also limit the time frame in which they can con- continue fighting. Uh, that 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 there's going to be, um, you know, the, the we'll we'll see where the politics lead. Biden is dealing with a party that is predominantly supportive of Israel, but that support is not as deep as it once was. And it ha- for the first time in my memory, you actually have a vocally anti-Israel faction of the Democratic Party. Uh, it's represented by the squad. It's basically just like five to ten lawmakers, um, but they're very loud and they get a lot of attention in the news media. Um, and that that is essentially the political uh, challenge that the White House is dealing with, that you see an anonymous, a story quoting anonymous activists or anonymous people, you know, junior staffers in the State Department that are speaking out against Biden, that are speaking out against the support for Israel. And that's a constant headache for for this administration, given how, how seriously they take uh, the views of some of those junior staffers and younger voters or younger um, advisors. Uh, so that's that's sort of the, the political story right now when it comes to the White House. And I was just going to ask you, I, w- I do want to ask about Muslim American support, but perhaps you were going to go to the funding aspect, the aid. So, so I was going to talk about sort of the the politics of, okay. the, you know, the, there's been threats that a lot of Muslim groups have mm-hmm. advocated for that they could cost Biden a re-election if, if they, they withhold their support or whether it goes to a third party candidate. But the, the reality is, I mean, just in terms of crass political terms, Israel is 
has widespread support among Republicans, among Democrats, among independents. And the even within the Democratic Party, or even even if you just looked at the the, the sort of anti-Israel space within the Democratic Party versus the pro-Israel space, you hear a lot of attention paid to Michigan. And that's a state where you have a large Arab and Muslim American population, where the White House certainly is worried about Arab American voters, Muslim American voters who are not supportive of Israel staying home. And they're or, not that, you know, there, there aren't that many in terms of just raw political vote, right? But if you look at um, vote margin in Michigan and how both Republicans and Democrats need to win those blue wall states, that could make a difference. It could, but here's the other part of the story, Dana. Pennsylvania is an even bigger state that's also a bigger battleground that, you know, it would be suicidal to not be pro-Israel for, for a Democrat yeah. in Pennsylvania. And that's an even more competitive state that is a, a battleground. The same goes for Florida. The same goes for Nevada. The same goes for Georgia. You have very, you know, well-organized Jewish communities that are very pro-Israel. You have a lot of moderate voters uh, in those states, too, that are very supportive of Israel. And taking a, you know, siding with or sounding that you don't take side, you're not supporting Israel in its battle against Hamas would be very problematic in most other states. Michigan is the one state where the politics are a little more neutral, but in almost every other battleground state, the the politics are pretty clear uh, in support of Israel. So that, you know, like it's interesting that you see these stories about how, you know, certain left wing groups or, or Muslim groups could withhold their support for Biden. And yeah, it's a factor in Michigan, to be sure. But the politics in almost every other battleground state and every other district uh, tends to be much more in favor of the pro-Israel side. And that's why, frankly, it's one one political reason, at least why Biden has been a pretty subtle stalwart supporter of Israel during the last uh, two months and in this in this fraught period. Do you think that the aid package will pass? I, I do, but a lot you know a lot of it is really tied to other 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 elements of the the spending package, whether it's mm-hmm. aid to Ukraine, whether it's border border security funding. Uh, it, it looks like in some way or another, the money is going to get to Israel, but all the partisanship in Congress is holding up what otherwise would be a pretty easy vote for, for Republicans and Democrats to take. And meantime, there are anti-Semitism on display in places like at Goldie's Restaurant in Philadelphia. And this week, in fact, tomorrow, that'll be Tuesday, December 5th, there will be a hearing on Capitol Hill uh, where the heads of three major universities have been called to Congress to testify about how they are protecting Jewish students on campus. So we'll pay attention to that as well. So sign up for the daily email that you can get from Jewish Insider. It's very simple. You just go to jewishinsider.com and sign right up as I did right before this podcast. That wraps up this segment. But before we head to our next one, here's the answer to your candidate quotable. My point that I've been trying to make about Nikki is just pretty simple. You can't be everything to everybody. Um, And so, you know, you can't be running against Donald Trump and then say he was the right president for the right time. That quote is from former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. We'll have more Perino on politics coming up. And welcome back to Perino on Politics. A little bit of a shorter segment. Before I ask you what I might be missing in all of things politics, is it possible that Mark Cuban wants to throw his hat in the ring for president? You know, he has said he he sold a stake in the Dallas Mavericks. He's leaving uh, Shark Tank, one of the the successful shows he's he's been front and center on. He's the he's the kind of guy who would be a very 
compelling independent candidate, someone who's an outsider, wealthy, is a celebrity. You know, he follows that Trump model, but is much more moderate or a much more mainstream moderate type of figure. He has said he has no interest. I mean, he, he's he's been pretty clear ever since he uh, kind of made these business moves that he's not interested in running for president. But look, I do think a lot of these no labels groups are much more focused on politicians that are, you know, more well known, like a Joe Manchin or Mitt Romney or folks in that space. When I think the reality is that celebrities or people who uh, go beyond the realm of politics are the ones that can really make a difference. Make it. Uh, so well, it'll be we interesting shall to wait see and see. Does. It'll be interesting to watch. So as we head into the end of this year of 2023 and we get ready for the election year of 2024, aside from the things I've asked you about today, which are pretty kind of obvious. Everyone is sort of talking about the things I've been asking you about. Are there things that you watch or pay attention to right now that I might be missing? So Dana, you know, I'm a big political junkie, congressional political junkie and follow all the all the races down ballot. Yeah. And one of the biggest races that I think is going to draw tons of attention in the coming months is the special election for George Santos's seat. He you know, expelled, never, rarely seen expulsion in Congress, but that has set the stage for what's looking like a February uh, contest between, uh, you know, likely a former Democratic congressman and, and a up and coming Republican candidate in a district that voted for Biden and also voted for uh, Republican Governor Lee Zeldin in the last election. So this is the, one of the swingiest of swing districts. It, it's shown that it will vote for both Republicans and Democrats in recent elections. And it's also, you know, we've been talking about Israel and, and, and anti-Semitism. It's also one of the more Jewish districts in the country, in Long Island, a sizable uh, Jewish American population. So this could be sort of the the Super Bowl of, of, of uh, elections outside of the presidential race that could really give us a, a real sign of how the political landscape is shaping up for 2024. How do you think Mike Johnson, the new speaker, is uh, settling into things? Because he's got the job to run the Congress, but he also is looked to to fundraise for the Republicans and to try to make sure that they can keep their majority, which is going to be difficult to do in 2024. Yeah, I mean, fundraising and, and paying attention to the politics, because that that with Santos gone, Dana, the majority is as razor thin as it's ever been. Uh, and, and the Republican Party brand has taken a hit in the last few months since Kevin McCarthy was pushed out and Mike Johnson is still getting his sea legs uh, wet. <laughs> uh, look, he's got to figure out how to get things done. I mean, I think it's important for him to pass, you know, Israel funding, Ukraine funding, which is up in the air. Uh, you know, showing he can govern, that there's a, an ability not to be a doctrinaire conservative, but someone who can actually cut deals with Democrats and do things in a way that gets the Republican Party some concessions. But yeah, look, Johnson is, a, is not going to, the, the election in 2024 isn't going to be about Mike Johnson. It's going to be about the Republican Party brand. And a lot of that is going to depend on whether the party can actually work together, can be united, and, and actually have a constructive agenda heading into 2024. Huh. Well, I guess that remains to be seen, indeed. All right, Josh, it was great to have you back on the podcast. And before I let you go, I've got a pop quiz. And you've done this before. So here's the categories you choose from candidate LinkedIn, campaign slogans, or Dana Reed Sports. I'll do Dana Reed Sports. Yes, you're probably going to get this. I love this, yeah. And it is multiple choice, so I'll read out the possibilities. Who is the only person to lead the NFL in rushing and also write a dissent in Roe v. Wade? Was it Thurgood Marshall, Byron White, or Warren Berger? Byron White. You got it. You got it, indeed. But anything, anything, sports I, and politics. That, that those are my. Two How do you feel stuff. about FSU being shut out of the playoffs? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I am 
I, I am support. I, look, I, I think Florida State lost their quarterback, and the team is a different team without their their star quarterback. So, if you want to actually have two bowl games on New Year's Day that are watchable, having Alabama and Michigan is a much better matchup than uh, Michigan and uh, and Florida State. And, and it sucks. Like I, I really, this is the last year that there are only going to be four teams in the playoff, and hopefully, we won't have a situation like this. But um, I feel for Florida State. Like they they were undefeated. They played a heck of a schedule. And they didn't, you know, they won every game, but they weren't the same team when they lost their quarterback in Alabama, had a much tougher schedule. And and I, I think we're much more worthy of that final spot. Hey, now I can talk on the five. You you gave me the brief I needed on the sports <laughs> segment. Thank you so much. Yes. You know, I, I, I'm much more NFL than college football, but uh, that was that was a Hey, that was the talk of, what uh, you gave me opinion. is 110% more than what I knew before I walked in here. <laughs> All right, Josh Crusher, have a great week. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. It was fun. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.